0: You're listening to Agile Next, the next generation Agile talk show. I'm Daniel Gulo. And I'm Stephen Forte.
1: Each week, we ask industry leaders to share their past experiences with Agile practices and to provide their insights into where Agile is heading to next.
0: The show is available on SoundCloud, iTunes, and by visiting our website at www.agilenext.tv. This episode is brought to you by Applebrook Consulting and Fresco Capital. Whatever your Agile needs, Applebrook Consulting can help with training and coaching. Visit our website at www.apple-brook.com. Fresco
1: Capital is a global venture capital firm focusing on entrepreneurs building global businesses. Visit our website at fresco.vc. Episode 2, June 23, 2016. Today our guest is Richard Hunhausen, who is the president of Axient, a company that specializes in application lifestyle management using Microsoft's Visual Studio. In addition, he's a Microsoft Regional Director and Visual Studio ALM MVP. He's also a professional Scrum Developer and Trainer at Scrum.org and the author of Professional Scrum Developer with Visual Studio 2012 by Microsoft Press. Richard, welcome to the show.
2: Uh, Hey, Steve. Good to talk to you.
1: Do you feel that Agile has any unique advantages in any one technology or the other? Or is Agile very agnostic? Do you need to maybe modify Agile to get it working with other pieces of technology?
2: Well, I think uh, depends on who you talk to. There are a lot of opinions out there on what Agile is and how to make it work. I primarily focus on software development teams. So, you know, IT organizations and software organizations that are trying to become Agile. I don't think you can really do Agile, but you can become Agile. And some of the different practices around to become more agile with this kind of uh, teams, you know, some of them work better in some organizations and and not so well in others. And it's, you know, it's a mixture of management and it's a mixture of sort of the existing power structures that are there and, you know, how the teams are set up or, or not set up as the case may be. So, you know, I've seen it all, Steve, over the years.
1: And so you're really saying that it's agnostic to the technology underneath, but it's more about the team and the organization.
2: It is. I mean, it's at the end of the day, it's about the people. It's not the process or tools that that make you agile. It's the people. And you can take some rock star technology and rock star tools and a, and a rock star framework like Scrum, and you just put the wrong minded people in front of that, and you're not going to go anywhere. And the flip side's true as well. You can take some some brilliant startup folks with that can do attitude and put them in some kind of a uh, very plan driven, you know, approach because the uh, the financiers want that. And they can make magic happen because the people are motivated and have the right mindset.
0: Scaling seems to be a a really hot topic these days. And we tend to hear a lot of negative stories and and failures and so on. Do you have any uh, success stories to share with scaling?
2: Uh, We do. Uh, First of all, I want to kind of set the definition of scaling. Uh, It's been overused quite a bit, like a lot of terms in our industry. But scaling specifically here is, you know, is two or more teams working on a single product at a time, not that an organization has lots of agile teams working in it. So the, the, the agile adoption, the agile infiltration, having lots of scrum teams in an organization, that's great, but that doesn't really get into some of the specific you know, problems that come with scaling. And the, the frameworks and the, the trainings and the, the, the teams I've been coaching – You know, they're specifically trying to remove these these dependency problems, which are the killer of scale. And the dependencies can come in the shape of people dependencies, domain dependencies, cross-team dependencies, external dependencies. So oftentimes, just trying to to scale effectively is just the identification and removal of these dependencies. And it does take time, and some of them aren't ever going to be removed because that's how the organization's been set up from the beginning. So it's, it, it really is uh, it's a big backlog sometimes to get organizations to scale effectively.
0: Sure, it kind of touches on the theory of constraints.
2: Yes, and something I've been quoting more and more of are Larman's laws. So Craig Larman has got some great uh, facts out there about organizations being set up against restructuring teams to be able to scale. It's pretty heady stuff, but it's true. You'll see it over and over again.
1: And one question I haven't, you said, was very interesting. Your definition of scaling. I find it very vital to have proper definitions before you go off and do something. And just for the sake of um, intellectual exercise, you said, you know, scaling is is about you know scaling the team, not the organization. What would you call that part? And when you actually want to scale agile into the entire organization,
2: I, I use the A word, the adoption word. I know some people don't like that. You know, uh, it's but but it's more of starting in, in in one pocket one business unit one team seeing some success you know maybe taking some of the scrum masters or coaches to bring that into other organ other parts of the organization I know uh, a couple of companies I, I coach they've brought scrum and and agile you know practices into finance into operations into marketing and you know not all not all of those different business units really can take advantage of the time box and working as a team, but a lot of the nouns in these frameworks, backlogs and, and the daily scrums and the the review meetings and things like that, it does make sense to get, you know, teams on a cadence, regardless of if you're doing complex work like software development.
1: And when you're adopting inside of the organization, is it more of an organic flow, or do you think there's any, do any of these scaling frameworks out there help with that?
2: There are not many scaling frameworks out there. There's There's two that I I, I tend to like more than others because they're based on, on Scrum and they're kind of based on the notion that you're already doing Scrum. But the one out there that, that I run into a lot is called Safe, the Scaled Agile Framework. And it, I think it works really well when there is nothing to begin with, except for, you know, a large, uh, you know, multi-levelled org chart that needs something. So you need to push some kind of a template into that uh, ball of mud and get something started. I think then that uh, that that specific framework um, can can start to at least get some different levels set up and and get some communication pathways going, you know, and eventually maybe you can pull that out, take out that agile release train, for example, and go back to sort of self organizing teams delivering on a cadence.
0: So a big a big challenge of of scaling and and agility across an organization is really, you know, getting business and IT. At the table together. So, what are some some uh, strategies that you've seen work, or models that you've seen work?
2: Well, I think you need to understand the problem of what why they're apart in the first place, and it often comes down to trust. You know, the the business has lost trust in IT that they haven't developed what has been asked for, or they've developed it so late or so buggy. You know that uh, you know they've gone to shadow IT or they've gone to outsourcing to try to get something done. And the flip side is true, too, that IT has developed what the business has asked for and, you know, to to great pains and show it to them. And they say those magic words, that's not what I wanted. So, you know, getting some kind of a a neutral third person in there, a coach, a consultant, a trainer to explain, hey, if you guys want to move forward as an organization where you see IT as a competency and that can deliver on what the business needs, you need to both sides here share in the risk the risk of asking the the proper what and the risk of delivering the proper how needs to be understood by both sides. And, you know, it, it, I feel like, uh, uh, you know, that movie the ref where I'm in there between two fighting, you know, spouses trying to get them to have a proper conversation. Sometimes I, I try to just sit on the laurels of, Hey, let's stick to the values. You know, let's stick to, you know, we all are working for the same goals here, try to bring leadership into the discussion if possible. But I'm, sometimes I'm, I'm the first person that removes myself from these consulting engagements because I'm way too honest. And I'll say, Hey, I think we found the problem and it's a, it's a vice president. And here's the person's name. And I think that this needs to change. And unfortunately they're the ones that sponsored the change effort. And, you know, I'm shown the door. I am not the best person at, you know, that level of, uh, of discourse between those two parties. If it's a little bit lower level, uh, I usually have no problem because the sponsor is, uh, you know, above them and they can help guide those discussions and, and make the, the hard changes should they come to, come to be needed.
0: So in addition to scaling, Richard, uh, another popular current topic and, and question is what does Agile look like in other industries outside of IT? So what are your thoughts on, on Agile being uh, employed and, and the practices being used outside of IT?
2: Well, the promise of agile is, you know, being able to turn the ship quickly, be able to go after, you know, business opportunities quickly, because all of the downstream processes, whatever that looks like, whether it's traditional production, traditional manufacturing, or IT, uh, you know, can follow along very well. So, a lot of the basics that we work with in IT, you know, the shorter iterations, the fast feedback loop, safe to fail, you know, having this sort of trust of the teams, of the engines uh, below the surface to, to steer that ship quickly, you know, that, that can apply to other business units and other industries as well. Uh, again, I, I, am a big fan of scrum and I think that the empirical process, you know, do something and see how it went and make changes accordingly. Doesn't really apply to all types of work. If work is not complex, you know, where I use the definition that more is unknown than is known about the requirement and the solution for it. Uh, you, may, you may be overkill, you know, using some of these practices. But visualizing your work, information radiators, short feedback loops, you know, the openness, the trust, all of this, th- those are going to work in any sector, in any, you know, business unit of an organization. So those are kind of the, you know, the, the agile values and principles. Pulling out, of course, the ones that speak specifically to software, yeah, you know, those those never go out of tune. Those are
1: always great. Once we get widespread adoption, which is you called the A word earlier in the show, once we get widespread adoption of Agile outside of IT, I see Agile uh, evolving. And I was wondering what your thoughts are on that. As you see Agile now scaling, you also see it moving outside of IT a little bit. What are your thoughts about how it's evolving?
2: So, so I, I think it's evolving, but it's like anything. Is it evolving just through lip service or are we actually being more Agile? And until there is a way for us to stick a thermometer, you know, in the ear of a, an organizational unit or a or, an, or a whole organization and say, "Yep, you're agile," or "Nope, you're not even close," you know, I, these are just words people throw around. And how do you how do you prove or disprove it? So I think a couple things need to happen. I think there needs to be some kind of uh, of an assessment model. There are several out there. Most of them are bad. Some of them are useful where you can actually say, well, are we agile or not? And the ones I keep falling back on are like the Spotify model, which is why don't you ask your workers, you know, ask the workers, the, the, te- the people on the teams, do you like working here? Do you feel like a pawn or a player, you know, and, and you do these surveys, uh, you know, regularly, anonymously, however you need to, to get the right answers back so that, uh, you know, people steering the ship can make the changes, uh, we at Scrum.org we're working on uh, evidence-based management, eBmgt.org, as you know, having some fairly subjective, direct, directly measurable uh, values: uh, revenue, um, satisfaction, uh, technical debt. You know, some of these are unicorns. Maybe we'll never be able to find the value of these things or the numbers. But until the organizations can say, "Hey, we are becoming more agile through these practices," there's nothing to inspect. So I, I constantly find myself meeting with organizations where the, the lower levels are asking for help. Can you please come in and, and teach us professional scrum, Scrum, where you're actually delivering working software? And we'll go through the, you know, the motions of an engagement only to get squashed by a director that says no, we're already doing Scrum. And they don't know that they're not. They know that they paid for a bunch of training and they know that there are people standing up around the whole office every morning at nine. But if you ask the workers, are not doing Scrum. They're just doing some of the, the motions of it. So t- to answer your question, I think the future of Agile is we need to know, first of all, if we're doing Agile or not. And then I've got to put a lot of emphasis on the retrospective parts of it. So once we know we're improving or not improving, to just you know, try to develop a more trusting environment to where we can, as, as team members, say, hey, I have an issue with, with XYZ. And, and feel safe about bringing that up and, ha- and as a team want to tackle that and come up with uh, you know, a good solution for it. Even if it's people related impediments or organizational, you know, these, these organizations that want to be agile, but, but won't change their power structures or their middle or line managers. Um, what's the point?
0: It kind of reminds me of Ken's paper, Scrum is Hard and Disruptive. Um, His article from 2006 and how he says that organizations shouldn't try Scrum if they aren't ready to deal with some of the hard, cold truths that they find. Yeah. I
2: mean, when you adopt Agile or Scrum specifically, you're inviting a change engine to live in your organization that never shuts off and it never stops thinking.
1: So when you're starting to think about these organizations, you mentioned the assessment and... Do we need a universal assessment to determine, as you said, stick a thermometer in the side and see if you're agile? Like, do you think that if we had some kind of universal assessment, or do you think it could be more dynamic than that?
2: Well, I think both have been tried, Steve. That there's you know just you know surveying the 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 uh, the workers, surveying the team members, and asking them you know, hey, is there a good vibe here or not? And you can you can do these very simply, like, I don't know if you guys have traveled much lately. I'm assuming the answer is yes, like myself. But more and more you're finding, you know, bathrooms and airports. You walk out and there's the smiley face buttons. How was your experience today? Uh, Even just putting something like that, you know, near the door in the team room and have a couple, two or three levels of questions, or every day it's a different question. You can start to see over time, hey, we're getting lots of smiley faces for this is a good place to work. You know, I feel like my my work is of value. I feel like my stakeholders are giving me feedback, and and you can you query the teams. You know how we're doing in, internally, and that's usually the one that's missed. If anything, organizations they're trying to assess their agility is more external facing. How are we responding to you know the the users' requests for features or requests for bugs to be fixed or stakeholders asking for you know new sets of features or new apps to be built, but don't don't ever underestimate. The, uh, the power of an internal assessment because this is happening all the time by way of people leaving teams and organizations where they don't want to work anymore. And you don't want that either.
1: So you would assume, or you would assert that there would be Internal and external assessments uh, that would determine that kind of overall metric if the organization is healthy or not. Yeah, and I
2: don't I don't know if we could ever get to a you know a, a scale like a like a FICO score for how good your your team is or your organization across you know all the different stratas of types of organizations. But it, just like just like a velocity number is local to a team for you know their sort of trailing indicator of their productivity. It, it could and should be the same for teams or, or business units within an organization for this this agility. But you've got to start somewhere, and, and it's it's not that an absolute measure is going to tell you anything. It's how you're trending over time, up or down, as you try different experiments. You know that that's empiricism at scale.
0: When you're dealing with organizations, what are some challenges that you see, and and what are your kind of like hot buttons?
2: Yeah. So. I'm usually brought into an organization either as the tool guy, you know, being a Visual Studio MVP. And while I'm there, I can kind of sniff around and, and see maybe how dysfunctional their processes are. Uh, or I'm brought in to teach Scrum, in which case I'm evaluating maybe what tools they're using or not using. Uh, but either either way, I, I've, I've got a, you know, the ability to be half a half-spy on one of those two areas. And, and I'll, I'll tell you a couple things. One is all organizations think that they're a special snowflake. They think their complexity is unique. And, you know, the way things are around here is because, you know, they're so unique in, in their industry. And I will usually, if, if, it's, if it's become that conversation, I will usually rephrase that as, I don't doubt that you have arrived at your current level of dysfunction through years of optimization, but I wouldn't say you're a special snowflake because the insurance industry over here, the medical industry over there, military over here, I mean, you're all dealing with you know the same complexity in developing software. Now it's the companies I don't visit, which I think are getting it. Uh, you know, they're the ones that, that pretty much have learned that they need to continue continuously learn, and and that's why you know Pluralsight so popular because they can just get on there and learn what's new and they just build that in. They build slack into their time. They build learning in as, you know, a first class citizen. And they just know that if we're gonna survive in this this industry and and increase our agility or even maintain it, uh, we've got to adopt, you know, some of these behaviors individually. And I don't really meet those teams, which is good, you know, the, the healthy patients don't need a doctor, so to speak. But it's the ones that invite me in as a tool person. And then while I'm there, I'm asking about their agility. And the managers and and, and the, the people in in power positions are, you know, saying, yes, we are, and you know, we're so awesome. And behind them, the the developers are shaking their heads side to side and telling me, no, we're not. And it's just funny that, you know, the mid managers and 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 the uh I don't want to say there are people act- actively running interference, but if the pain of what's happening at the team level doesn't get to the right people, they're going to assume things are hunky dory. If you know software is being de- delivered and they're making their dates, you know who cares about technical debt? That's something that the coders have to deal with. Uh, you know, just keep on push, 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 and expect. And you know, we're we're agile because we want to be agile, and that's all it takes at those certain levels of management. And it just Bugs me to no end.
1: It also is a, a problem because then they think what they're doing is agile. If they fail, they blame agile, not necessarily either themselves or they go to other organizations and they're afraid to adopt agile.
2: Exactly. And a good blog post that uh, Ken Schwaber did a couple years ago, simply called "Scrum Fails," and he likened Scrum to the rules of chess. You know, here's the here are the rules. Read them, understand them, play it. If you want to play chess with three kings because you can quote win more often, great. I don't know what you're playing. It's not chess. It's not scrum. And you're not going to get any better at the game of chess. So, you know, don't blame the process. Blame the people or praise the people is a better way to look at it and, you know, work towards improvement.
1: Yeah, I do respect Ken. I think he said something to expand on the chess piece about scrum butt or something. He goes, go ahead and do it if you're going to change scrum around because just don't call it scrum for that reason.
2: Yeah. And I've become less sort of, you know, the, the, the scrum guide, you know, dogma dogmatic over the years, but still, if you get too far away from the basic principles, it's, I don't, it's less about not calling it scrum than, than about how's this even going to work. You know, I find myself in organizations that have nine product owners because they haven't figured out that there needs to be one voice to sort of control them. One, one ring to rule them all. And that's, that's important. You need that.
0: So in, in that same kind of line of thinking, you know, how there's specific scrum practices, uh, what are your thoughts on how scrum complements other approaches like Kanban and XP and so on?
2: Yeah. So I think uh, XP is really interesting. XP, I, I know that it is a, uh, a process, but I and most others look at it as a collection of great practices and many of those practices we encourage in professional Scrum, in Scrum.org's you know view of Scrum. Uh, to put it a different way, the Scrum Guide, the official rules of Scrum, say nothing about what you're to do the other seven hours and 45 minutes of a day, you know, assuming American eight-hour days. But what do you do? It doesn't say. Uh, you know, go go build software. Woohoo! Live the values. But XP comes in. Here's a bunch of experiments you can try. Let's try writing our tests first. Let's try pairing up. Let's try, you know, writing acceptance tests as failing tests and, you know, whatever. Uh, so I think it's a great sort of buffet of ideas to, to try and retrospect on if you want to keep doing it or not. Uh, Kanban, you know, the practice and and Scrum, the the framework, I, I don't know that they're very complementary. I know that the, the boards, Kanban boards, of course, and you can visualize your work in prog- progress Uh Great that you know some teams will do that. That's not really Kanban. I, I certainly am not going to be the person that says Scrum is for everything and everybody. Um, I have kind of three litmus tests I do when I look at a, a team to see if Scrum is right for them. One is, uh, can you work as a team? Is is the work such that you can work as a team, or is it fairly simple where they're mostly just tasks coming into individuals? Uh, two is, is it planable work? You know. Are, are the things you're doing mostly planable, or is it reactionary, you know, or sustained engineering and ops support? And and three is, is, is the work, you know, complex? Do you really need the sweat of a time box to find an optimal fit-for-purpose solution? And if if the answer is yes to all three, then Scrum, let's give Scrum a try. If it's two, yeah, maybe, but if it's one or zero on those questions, I think the overhead of... Of, of applying Scrum is just going to be more, more than it's going to give you. And I would maybe recommend trying uh, Kanban at that approach and just setting up a flow model.
1: When you really look deep, deep down at the hardcore values or, or rules of Scrum, it's really all about the meeting, which fosters communication. It doesn't tell you what to do the rest of the day, so to speak. It lets you kind of fill that in, which I think gives it the opportunity to uh, evolve itself, but also at the same time gives it the opportunity to transcend multiple kind of trends that are going around based upon, you know, the environment that we're in.
2: Yeah, exactly. And you know, so so long as the the team has that attitude of hey, let's try something new. Let's 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 innovate. Let's let's switch things around next sprint and do an experiment. Uh, you know, just setting the Scrum Guide up in a in a kind of a brochure holder in the team room. And expecting the cargo to fall like it always used to from the sky every sprint is just nonsense. You know, just scrum and name only is not going to deliver working software. You've got to do the hard work. And I think some teams give up on that. You know, I, I have an analogy I use. It's sometimes a little, little cheesy, but I'll give it a try here because we're amongst friends, right?
1: We, we like cheesy anyway.
2: Okay, good. So if, if agile is to getting healthy, so, hey, we're agile, that means, hey, I'm healthy. It's, it's a state of being. It's not, a, it's not a way to get there. So let's we'll try some practices. Well, some agile practices relating to health might be let's eat better and exercise more. You know, that's, I always hear that. That sounds like a good thing. So let's eat, I don't know, let's eat eight donuts today instead of a dozen. And let's try walking the stairs instead of the elevator one floor up. Yay! I'm agile. I'm I'm eating better and exercising more. Uh, Scrum comes along and says, "No, we're going to actually do P ninety X or some you know extreme you know cross training and 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 uh, nutrition regimen. Here's what you eat. Here's the exercises you do on on the mornings, the afternoons, the evenings. You know, we do stomach three times a week. We do cardio twice a week, and let's see after ninety days or you know six sprints." Uh, which team is better. The ones that ate less donuts and walked occasionally or the ones that, you know, follow this framework because they're both agile. They're both eating better and exercising more. One just sort of tells you how to do it. And that prescription is sort of needed sometimes to get people kicked in the butt and going, but it's hard knowing that you've got to do the right thing every day for the rest of your life.
0: I I really love that analogy. Uh, I, I like the whole idea of um, they're maybe they're not trying to be the Olympic athlete, uh, but those that are trying to get to that point, you know, that maybe they would prefer the P90X type approach. So, Richard, we ask all of our guests on the show uh, kind of a common theme or a common question because the show is called Agile Next. Uh, what do you see the future holding for for Agile?
2: So, keeping the scope to software development. Um, obviously that industry is going nowhere, but exploding every year after every year we get new and new, newer and newer sort of architectural approaches to things, you know, cloud-based, uh, microservices more and more on the handheld more and more cross platform. Uh, we want things to go from idea to store instantly so we can start to realize the revenue. So, you know, if anything, we we must be more agile just for the sake of what we need to, to do in the industry. But that said, there's more and more layers to those architectures. That's why you're hearing about DevOps. Nobody knows what it is or what it means, but it's a problem we're trying to solve in that, you know, the development and business, we got them together the first decade, hopefully, with Scrum, or others would put it more... We got developers and testers together on a team using Scrum. But now that we're in this next decade of, of Agile, uh, Sam Guggenheimer at Microsoft likes to say DevOps is the second decade of Agile. And I'm, I kind of like that, except what's DevOps? I know what Microsoft calls it, what IBM calls it, and what Atlassian calls it. But until those guys get together at a ski resort and drink some beer and come up with a manifesto, I don't know what it is. There's been some books written about it. but Everything you read, and I don't know if you guys will agree or not, I'm like, oh, so DevOps is just, you should be doing correct scrum, getting people to talk, getting the business involved, building things according to a definition of done, and that definition can include deployed to production. You know, by the way, some people don't think that, but it can be. So there's there's very little in DevOps that isn't just called good professional scrum, except where the tool vendors get involved. And, you know, that's kind of the noise in that arena right now, I see. So sorting some of that out and just going back to the basics so that we can go from, you know, concept to cash quickly.
1: One last question I'd like to ask you is what's next for Richard? Um, Not necessarily philosophical speaking, but, you know, the second half of 2016, any cool books you're working on or conferences, keynotes, business practices, trends, whatever's, whatever's on the docket for you.
2: So my business is kind of, kind of unique. I, you know, do training and consulting, but uh, you know, being a small shop with just a couple MVPs involved, I like to just write courseware. So I find myself writing courseware that I sell to, you know, a few years ago would be my competitors. But now I get to just you know license this out and sit back and enjoy my my five kids. Uh, so what's what's next for me? I I don't know. You know, I'm uh, I'm liking the work life balance I've I've sort of set up at this point. I know that there are plenty of dysfunctional organizations out there. I get to be picky and fire the customers before I get involved with them. Um, I'm, I'm appreciating more and more what some of the, the thought leaders out there are doing, which is before getting involved in a coaching, uh, you know, long-term coaching assignment, to just see upfront what they're willing to, to change. And, you know, if it's not much, then I'm not that interested because I know that changing to the flavor of the week isn't going to make improvements. I'd rather see improvements, and that happens at the people level, the organizational level. Seeing what's next for Microsoft, you know, I'm constantly uh, working with the product group there to, to build a, a superior product, you know, to what Rally and version one and, and even Jira, you know, produce. And I think that there's a race right now to provide good tooling for scaled agile development, not just to provide tooling to support safe. There's a difference there. And I've been trying to explain that to the product group at Microsoft for some time. So that's that's on my backlog for the next while and uh, you know check with me in six months that's how it works here
1: Richard thanks again for being on the show today your insights were extremely helpful to our audience
2: Hey, you're welcome guys thanks for having me
1: next week on the show we have Richard Sheridan the CEO and founder of Menlo Innovation Richard's going to talk to us about many interesting topics including open workspaces and using agility in the entire organization
0: I hope you can join us then big Agile Next thank you to our sponsors, Fresco Capital and Applebrook Consulting. Visit Fresco Capital at frescocapital.com and Applebrook Consulting at applebrook.com. brookcom We hope to see you next week on Agile Next. In the meantime, check out our website at agilenext.tv.